He's my, uh, he's, he's the saints are my favorite in, in the book of Proverbs. It was uh, very profound, very rich, and um, very needful, I think, in my life and in our culture. Uh, we need to hear it. Um, so this is our fifth lesson on the saints of Agor, chapter 30. And um, as you remember, he begins with his autobiography in verses 1 through 9. And we've said that this whole chapter is a unit. It's not uh, fragmented. It's not uh, just random saints put together. It's a, it's a whole uh, message that he's given to us. And his autobiography in verses 1 to 9 really gives us the foundation um, for his sayings. It, it, it prepares us to receive um, the wisdom he's going to give. Um, in other words, if you don't go through the process of verses 1 through 9, you'll be unable to um, really get the wisdom he's going to give in the rest of the, the verses. You have to come to a humble knowledge of your own ignorance, reject your own wisdom as the foundation of knowledge, and submit to God's word as the ultimate standard of your life to which you bow and you filter everything through. Um, and wisdom also begins with a hard attitude that fears the Lord. Knowledge of the Holy One is reflected how? How does Agur give expression to his fear of the Lord, to his knowledge of the Holy One? It is in his what? In his verses 7 through 9. It's in his what? His prayer. His prayer. And his prayer is not about himself per se. It's about the glory and reputation of God. And that he wouldn't wander away from trust in the Lord. Uh, it's all about the Lord. And that grows out of his affection for the name of God, which grew out of his knowledge of the word. Um, so, so it's beautiful how it's laid out. And then we come to verses 10 through 31. And look at the back of your handout. I have the passage I gave this to you last week. Sort of showing you how this whole um, section is is organized, and it's organized in seven numerical sayings, which seven again is the number of completeness, the number of perfection, all in the Old Testament, especially in Proverbs. And just see the the great art and skill it took to put it together. Um, it is uh, laid out in um, groupings. The first grouping of numerical sayings. There are three numerical sayings, and then there are four numerical sayings, following Agur's pattern, that he likes three things, yay, four. And each of the groupings are headed off by a single-line proverb, verse 10 and verse 17. So last week we were in verses 10 through 16, that first section, and it was a warning and an admonishment to us to curb the greedy desires, to be on guard against greed in our life, the insatiable appetites for more and more and more and finding satisfaction in God and in Christ and in his glory and not in um, things his life will give us. It will not satisfy advertisements. Now this morning we move on to the second section um, in verses 17 to 31. And we're just going to get through um, half of it this morning. Um, but it's fun. And uh, we've got to go, we're going to have to think through some of his, uh, his uh, riddles here think what they mean. But before we do that, let me read this whole section to get us the uh, context and the flow of thought. So begin in verse 10. You can just read along in your outline. It's taken from, I mean, from your handout there. It's taken from the NIV. Begins verse 10. says, Do not slander a servant to their master, for they will curse you and you will pay for it. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. There's those who are pure in their own eyes and yet are not cleansed from their filth. 
There are those uh, whose eyes, ever so haughty, whose glances are so disdainful, those whose teeth are swords and whose jaws are set with knives to devour the poor from the earth and the needy from among mankind. The leech has two daughters. Give, give, they cry. There are three things that are never satisfied, four that never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, the land, which is never satisfied with water, and the fire that never says enough. Now we come to our section this week. The eye that mocks a father and scorns an aged mother, pecked out by the ravens of the valley and will be eaten by the vultures. There are three things that are too amazing for me. Four I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a young woman or a virgin. This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. Under three things the earth trembles, under four it cannot bear up. A servant who becomes king, a godless fool who gets plenty to eat, a contemptible woman who gets married, and a servant who displaces her mistress. Four things on earth are very small, and yet they are extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Hyraxes are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the cracks. Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. A lizard can be caught in a hand, and yet it is found in the king's palaces. There are three things that are stately in their stride, four are stately in their bearing. A lion, mightiest among beasts, who retreats before nothing, a strutting rooster, a he-goat, and a king, secure against revolt. If you play the fool and exalt yourself, or if you plan evil, clap your hand over your mouth, for as churning cream produces butter, and twisting the nose produces blood, so stirring up anger produces strife. That is Agra's burden. And, uh, but what does he mean? <laughs> that's the question. And uh, that's what we're going to get into. We're going to take our time, and we're going to go through these um, two new miracle sayings, uh, numbers, uh, number four and, and five um, this morning. So this whole section... Um, I have titled it, Section 2 is an admonition to us to live within God's established order, to live within boundaries. Um, and we're going to uh, flesh that out a little bit. It takes us beyond the warnings against greed and will show us the great devastation that's brought on home and on society when people transgress boundaries, when people go beyond God's established order and design for his creation. Is meant to call us to deny self-exaltation and to live within boundaries of authority and submission as they've been established by the Creator. God's realm of creation and the home and social and political life thrive and excel when they are kept within God's established order. When they function as He has designed them to function. And when they submit to authority structures uh, that He has put into place. We're going to see how this works itself out. I, I put it on your outline, summarized it this way. This section, verses 17 to 31, warns against turning the home and society on its head, and it commends modesty, which leads to success by living within the order that God has established. It's teaching us how to live life within boundaries. Be content without self-exaltation, but with being modest, humble. And uh, that's just true greatness, Agur is going to tell us. 
So we begin this, this section of four numerical sayings with a single light proverb. Look at verse 17. It says, The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother, or an aged mother, will be pecked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Here we get the divine judgment for those who transgress God's created order. Um, those who dishonor those deserving of honor. Those who rebel against those who are placed in authority over them. Um, the eye, we remember the eye, it's um, come up a few times. It represents the whole person. When we saw him back in verse 13. It's the arrogant eye, the arrogant person. We saw disrespect to parents back in verse 11, right? They cursed the father and mother in order to obtain the inheritance early. And so here we get it again, and this person would overthrow authority, step beyond the bounds that God has established. Um, disrespect, dishonor those who are deserving of honor in their life. The eye represents the person, it mocks, it scoffs at it, the father, and it treats the mother with contempt, is the word. It belittles. Um, the authority that, that is placed over it. Rather than treating one's parents with the weight of honor, it belittles them, it mocks them. This can have varying degrees. It can be worked out in different ways. It could be you know, simple, disrespectful attitudes towards authority of any kind. Disobedience, insubordination. Um, the Bible fleshes it out um, other ways. The children refusing to care for their parents when they're in need. But this one here transgresses and overturns God's order in which children honor their parents. But not only does it wreck the home, look, at it, it brings divine judgment on one's life. It says that the ravens of the wadi and the dry riverbed will come and pluck the eye out. Um, if you haven't noticed, agra is pretty graphic. I mean, we've had butcher knives, we've had leeches, we've had uh, birds plucking people's eyes out, and so... Uh, the point is, is he wants to shake us awake. He wants to pay attention. This is, uh, this is big. Um, and he uses very graphic language to do it. I think the picture here is of a, a dead corpse lying unburied um, in a dry riverbed somewhere. And as you know, an unburied corpse is a very dishonorable end in, in that society. To be unburied is a sign of judgment and a sign of just dishonor. It's the boomerang. Again, the dishonor he threw out his parents comes back on him. He's unburied. And now the birds, um, carnivorous birds, descend on his body to consume his flesh. You know, Mike, uh, I think of uh, a graphic picture of another place in the Old Testament is uh, Jezebel. Mm. She died yeah. and, and she just was laying there like that and the dog <laughs> yep. came and just picked her. Uh, yeah. you know, just Nothing left. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, and, and that's a dishonorable end. Exactly. Yeah, unburied yeah, like that. Worms, mm-hmm. his flesh. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep, so you have a number of examples in the Bible of this very yeah. thing. And, yeah. Uh, I'm sure that the birds they're referring to is a figurative one, but mm-hmm. what would that mean as far as, what does that mean as far as yep. removing the eye? What is that? So I think, I think that plucking out of the eye, it means everything's gone. <laughs> it, it ate everything down to the eye. It even gorged the eye out. Um, so, and you see a picture of this in Revelation 19, right? Where if you've been listening to Pastor Farrell preach through, Christ comes, judges the world, slays the armies, and then he calls the birds of the heavens to descend and, and devour their flesh. It's a sign of divine judgment whenever you see this. The birds are descended from heaven, so to speak. They're coming down 
and it's symbolic for divine judgment. Yeah, another just real quick picture that we see, probably we see every day, yeah. is roadkill on the road. Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, they come up and you'll see the vultures, uh, yep. and they scatter and you drive by, and then yeah. you'll see they're, pick, they're picking them. They're disgusting. Yep, yep. yep. Um, so that's how he begins it, and this is his warning of judgment, um, divine judgment for those who would overthrow authority that God has put into place and dishonor those who are worthy of honor. Um, and it prepares us for now the theme that's going to be carrying us, carrying us through. So now we come to his first numbered saying, verses 18 to 20. He gets his guaranteed success for those who live within God's created order. So he promised judgment, verse 17. Now he's given a contrast, guaranteed success for those who live within God's created order. Look at verse 18. He says, three things are too wonderful for me, and four I do not understand. Agra begins by expressing his astonishment. Um, these things are wonderful. They are good. The idea is that they're extraordinary. They are breathtakingly great. They're beyond his comprehension. So it's more than just, I don't know about it or I don't know how it works. It, it, it takes my breath away. These things are beyond comprehension of how great they are. And you're probably wondering, okay, well, how so? <laughs> Well, before we talk about that, how so, we need to understand what's going on here. We need to investigate these four things and see what they what they mean. Um, and just, here's a good place just to say, Agra sayings are not easy, and they're not meant to be easy. Just like the rest of Proverbs, they call us to um, use wisdom to figure them out. We've got to chew on them. We've got to think on them. They're riddles. And, uh, and yeah, they're not impossible. So we're going to talk about them a little bit here. The way to do it is first to think about what these four things have in common. What do these things have in common? How do they relate to each other? In keeping with the context, what do they exemplify? Um, so I'm going to throw that out to you first, and then we're going to talk about it. Um, so don't cheat. Look at your outline. Um, what is an eagle in the sky, a serpent on a rock, a ship on a sea, and a man with a virgin have in common? Okay. And yet it functions within God's creation. God created the ability for it to work, the sea. Yeah. There are things like that shouldn't necessarily be able to function. And I think the last one is really funny. I, I almost see it as an attempt at humor. Yeah. Um, but it, it functions even though it's used as how as how Like a bumblebee. Yes. It's so fat. And yet it's able to fly. Excellent. That, that is, you're, you're right on. So these things are defining what you would normally expect. Things shouldn't be in the sky, right? Especially a heavy bird. The eagle was the, the heaviest and the largest. Actually, the word for eagle is the same as the vulture. It's the same word in, in Hebrew. Um, same word in Chinese, actually. Uh, they, they don't distinguish them. Well, it's a massive bird, and yet it's flying. Snakes, what, what, what is their limitation? What is their obstacle they have to overcome? They don't have feet, they don't have legs or hands or anything, um, and yet they defy it. What, what about a boat? What, what about the high sea? It doesn't do what? It doesn't just go sinking down to the bottom, right? So these things are, are defining what you would naturally expect, limitations. Um, think of an airplane. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, 
you could figure out how airplanes work by physics and uh, thermodynamics and all those principles, but yet it's amazing. Uh, you go to the, the ocean, you see these massive ocean liners, just cargo ships. I mean, tons of, of weight, and yet they don't sink. They float and get to something along. So good. Well, I would think that I'm looking at the next verse, and I'm mm-hmm. thinking that those four verses right there um, may not be, like, you know, like it says, this is the way that we're all going. So I'm thinking that maybe those have to do with that. Like, um, yeah, we're going to figure I don't out. I know, like if you have a plane mm-hmm. in the air, it tends to leave like a, you know, uh, a trail, okay. And whereas on a rock, um, very good. That's excellent. Yep, and he knows he doesn't mention airplane. That have airplane image of the bird. It doesn't leave any trace behind it, right? And a snake. He doesn't say on sand, right? He says on a on a rock. Leaves no trace behind it. And you get the adulterous woman, and neither does she leave a trace behind. So very good. That's another comment. We're going to flesh that out a little bit at the end. And um, I think the adulteress is a contrast, actually. We're going we're gonna to see that. Um, anything else? Think about a bird in the sky, uh, how, it, how it flies. I was looking at it the other day. We have vultures around here. It's magnificent. It, it, it's very smooth. It glides along. It barely ever flaps its wings. It just smoothly and swiftly glides. And the same movement is with the serpent. And notice the key word. What's the key word in here? It's the word way, the way, the way, the way. The way indicates movement. So there's something about the way these things move that stirs up astonishment and aggro. So the way of these things, the movement of these things, the smoothness and swiftness whereby the eagle overcomes its limitations and overcomes gravity and soars through the sky. The way the snake swiftly and smoothly Cruises on a slippery rock. This idea is a, is a boulder, and it does it with success. Yeah. Can you explain how the last one fits? I, I'll get there. Yeah. Yep. And that 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 one requires uh, a little bit of thinking. But I think if you get these first three, how these are working, I think that one makes sense. Um, and uh, and then the boat, it, it smoothly and swiftly sails across the deep oceans to find the depths. And so all of these things meet their goal, and they do so smoothly, easily, swiftly. Um, so before we, we get to that last one, I um, just want to think about this a little bit more. Um, why is it that they um, smoothly sail across the waters and across the sky and across the rock and defy all of their these seeming impossibilities? And they arrive successfully at their goal. Well, it's because they are functioning within their environment, right? Functioning within their environment in the way that God designed them to work. The snake would do no good in the water, nor would uh, a boat in the air. It doesn't work that way. It, it works within the environment God's established according to his design, and it does so overcoming all odds, right at the goal with success, with ease and smoothness. I think that's the picture Agro is giving us. Um, now let's go to this last one. This way of a man with a virgin. 
it stands out. You read in it, it stands out. It's, it's really the climax of this list. And I don't think it contradicts the other three ways. He, he, he's just giving these ways, and I believe they're good ways. The way he's presented, he says it's a wonderful thing. It's a good thing. It's an amazing thing. And he gives this fourth way. And I think this way highlights the goodness and wonders of sex within marriage. He speaks of a virgin. Um, the virgin uh, is one who has not experienced um, sexual intimacy before. And the idea is that within these boundaries established by God, what are those boundaries? The boundaries are marriage. Boundaries of marriage, um, sexual intimacy, um, can avoid the obstacles and the dangers that are related to it. And it actually succeeds and it thrives within the good boundaries that God has established it. The way of a man with a virgin is probably a Hebrew euphemism for, for intercourse. Um, and the fact that she's a virgin highlights the exclusivity of marriage as the place where this is to be enjoyed and experienced. Um, and I believe verse 20, which is a contrast, really highlights that this is the point. This is the meaning here. There's success, like with the eagle, the snake, and the ship, which all arrive at their desired end with ease as they operated according to the design within their boundaries. They overcome all odds and arrive at their destination safely. So the question is, well, what are the odds, the obstacles that have to be overcome here? What are the dangers um, involved in sexual intimacy? Well, I think you look back at chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Proverbs, right? You remember when we were teaching there? All the dangers to society and to marriage and to the home and to self that come when this is not kept within its proper boundary. When it has transgressed the boundaries that God has established it, it wreaks havoc on the home. It wreaks havoc on society. And it destroys individuals' lives. And that's the point. It's a good and a beautiful thing. When it functions as the eagle, as the ship, as the snake, as God designed it to function. And it's a good thing. And so Agra is teaching us life within God's boundaries, and it will succeed. And now he moves on to this next numerical saying in verse 20. It's this fifth way, and it's out of place. It's a fifth way. You don't expect it, and that's on purpose. It's unnatural, because she transgresses the boundaries and wreaks havoc on the whole of society. Look at verse 20. It says, this is the way of the adulteress. So it's not pointing back, it's pointing forward. This way that I'm getting ready to tell you is the way of the adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. She contrasts the pure virgin. She's not that. She breaks the boundaries of marriage. She wrecks the home and society. And I would say this way is um, equally astonishing. This way is equally breathtaking, but in a different way. Mary pointed out, it says she eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no iniquity. It's this idea she's covering up her trails, just like the others. To her, sex is nothing more than eating a meal. You look back at chapter 9. Uh, remember Lady Folly? That's how she described it. It's just a meal. It's not a big deal. She sees no wonder in God's design like Agar does. I think that's the point. Agar comes away seeing the wonder and the beauty and the perfection of the design of God in creation and the boundaries he has established. But this woman sees no wonder. She sees no glory in it. 
And so to her, sex is nothing more than a meal, and it is despised and overlooked. Walkie says that as with the four incomprehensible ways, the undulating adulteress leaves no trace. But unlike the other ways which enhance life, her way is contrary to the created and social order and threatens to undermine it. Yeah. Derek Kinder sums it up this way. He says, there is a common denominator in the idea of easy mastery. By the appropriate agent of elements is difficult to negotiate as air, rock, sea, and a young woman. The fifth and unnatural marvel is that of a person utterly at ease and in her element in sin. An act of adultery is as unremarkable to her as a male. That's what Paul's talking about. It means nothing. Hardness of conscience and utterly at ease while... Opposing God. It's amazing. It should take your breath away. It took Agar's breath away. So Agar's sense of amazement and wonder um, is meant for us to imitate. He calls us to imitate it. God's wisdom is woven into the fabric of his creation. And Agar calls us to recognize it and be astounded by it. The adulteress did it. Recognize the wonder and the glory of God's boundaries and transgressed it. Well, again, Walkie says, The four breathtakers so humble the beholder that he does not defy the created order. Just God's wisdom. So the first is just to call the goodness and the glories of the boundaries that God's established. Marriage and the authority structures he's put into place. And it calls to live within those. And when you do, there's thriving, there's success, there's flourishing within the home and within society. So let's move on. We've got a few minutes left. Let me rush through this last, uh, this next thing. And the next week we'll get to the last two. He gives us the social and domestic upheaval caused by those who transgress God's created order. So now the adulteress sort of prepares us for this next thing that comes. It says, under three things the earth trembles, under four it cannot bear up. 
So what's the key word in this section? Key word is the word under. Uh, you don't see it in English. In Hebrew, it's repeated in every verse. Under, under, under. And the idea is all these things turn creation on its head. It overturns the way God intended things to be. It, it's unbearable. Um, it upsets the order that God has established and under which the creation crumbles. God's design crumbles when it is um, overthrown, when it is opposed. So let me run through these really quick. You can see again it's in that ABBA pattern. Um, it begins, the A-frame highlights the uh, overthrow of authority by a male slave and a female slave. Destroys society and the home. And the B-frame um, highlights um, uh, a fool being filled, a contemptible woman getting a, getting a husband. They defy God's order of blessing for the wise and poverty for the foolish. And, uh, and all of these things flip God's creation upside down and they're to be avoided. So let's look really quick. A slave, when he becomes king, he opposes God's uh, order of authority and submission. The point here is not that people of lowly estate could be exalted and rise high. You see it with Joseph, you see it with David. Uh, that's not what it's talking about. A slave here is probably an official in the king's court. Uh, well, how would he become king? What would he do? He would kill him, he would conspire a coup, he would, he would overthrow authority in some way. And uh, so it's obviously um, rebellion that is indicated here. Why would the earth collapse? Why would society tremble under such a person? I think because his simple desires continue to wreak havoc after becoming king, right? He doesn't get any better. And his success in doing it will do what? It will encourage more to happen in society. Next, look at the fool that's filled with food. He opposes God's order of wisdom and blessing. The word here is Nabal or Nabal. Uh, you remember 1 Samuel 25? The guy's name was Nabal. He was a hard-headed fool. He was obstinate to God and his ways. Same word here. Um, Agur's going to use this at the very end. If you've been foolish, if you've been like Nabal, um, you oppose God's order, hard-headed, self-exalting. Don't go through the process of verse 1 through 9. What should happen to this kind of person? He should starve. He should not be rewarded for his rebellion to God. And he is. And he opposes God's order by that. He's filled with bread. Sustenance for, for life. So why would this cause the earth to tremble? Why would it cause society to, to crumble? I think first because it would encourage him to continue in his ways. His sin has been successful. Or so he thinks. It's worked out pretty good so far. And what is it going to do to those around them? It's going to encourage people to follow suit and to continue, um, not in wisdom, but in following. Again, the idea is similar to the contemptible woman who gets the husband. Um, it's, a, it's a hated woman is what it literally is. She does not possess any of the virtues of chapter 31 or of the, of the book. Um, and like the fool, she should not be rewarded for it. This causes the earth to triple in the, the same way. Um, she's being rewarded for her folly. And finally, we get the mage servant who displaces her mistress. She overthrows authority in the home. She takes the husband away from uh, the from, from the wife. Think of Hagar and Sarah, right? So, so what's the point? Um, 
think first, this section highlights the destruction on society and the home that comes when we rebel against God's design and the authorities he's put into place. And you can see on your outline there, are named a uh, number of them that you see in the New Testament. And these are designed, these are boundaries designed by God for us to live within. Not to exalt ourselves over them. We live within them as we honor them. And obviously not as they command us to go beyond God's word, but so far as they don't contradict God's word, we are to honor and respect and submit. Employer-employee relationships. My job is to honor my employer, whether he's a good guy or not, a jerk or not. My job is to make him look good, honor him, submit to him, serve him. Whatever it is, it calls us to live this way, and when it does, society flourishes, and when it doesn't, it wreaks havoc. It does. It opposes God's order. Number two, the inner frame calls us to be content, not to be content if sin should seem to be successful. It is a dangerous thing if we get away with our sin. If we continue unrepentant or opposing God in some way or refusing to submit our lives to Him, and it be rewarded, that's dangerous for self, it's dangerous for society. Because what does it do? It encourages the heart to grow harder and harder. It worked out that time. It will keep working out. It, the earth can't bear it. It will destroy your life. It will destroy the whole. It will destroy society. So that's Agur's um, sayings there. It is 10.16. Look at the implications. Let me read them really quick. What do we take away? I say the first thing is see the perfection and skill. God's woven his creation. See the way he's designed it to work. I think one thing that stuck out to me is in our culture, marriage is under assault. The goodness of intimacy within the boundaries of marriage. And then, beyond that, uh, that to find God's design of marriage between a man and a woman. Homosexuality is an affront to God and his, and his face is designed um, way for life. And it will devastate society in the whole, is what Agri tells us. And we've already seen it. And what's really interesting is that the pathway to this is a heart empty of worship. Right? They don't see the wonder in it. They don't see the glory in it. Do you hear Romans 1? They, they, they didn't see fit to acknowledge God. They, they, they suppressed the glories of God revealing creation. What happened? They continued on this road. He gives them over to what they want. And that's what you see. The fool is being filled with food. He's getting what he wants. That's not a good thing for him or for anybody else. And our only hope really is the word of God. Right? We're blinded by our sin. We're blinded by the success sin brings. And unless I have the light of God's word exposing sin in my life for what it is, I'm toast. <laughs> I'm not going to see it. Number two, recognize the deceitful um, dangers of sin. It leads to more sins. We just talked about the success of, of sin. Number three, cultivate submission to authority in your life. The boundaries God's put into place. That's what Agur is, is calling us. We'll work that out practically. What does it look like? Who are my authorities? How am I honoring and submitting and living with these boundaries? God's put. What commandments has he given me specifically? And how does that work? You can look those up in the New Testament. I'm really looking forward to next week because it's it's my favorite. The next number of saying of the, of the animals, um, it's good. You know, the Agur is really, really humble, really profound, and truths that I really need in my life. Well, any any thoughts, questions, comments? Um, yes. Uh, the last one. Uh, yes. I think that 
can be a tricky one. Yeah. You know, because like if say your employer asks you to do something, they know it's going against. Yeah. You know, like or something like not ethical or honest. Mm-hmm. And in that and case, the scripture would say, "We submit to do. We submit to do." You could. of wisdom, think of the better than Proverbs. It's that value system that yeah, you could be unethical and get promoted, but that's not good. It's better to be obedient to the Lord and lose my job. My dad had something so, happen yeah. Set God's boundaries by doing what they tell you to do, right? And uh, so it's, it's a balance there. You gotta think through. Um, I think it's kind of interesting, you know, as we've been going through this, uh, just thinking how God's wisdom is intertwined and you have to kind of search it out, you know. And I think the proverb, isn't there a proverb that says something about searching out a matter is in glory of kings, you know? Mm-hmm. It's almost yep. correlated with the parables, you know, Jesus spoke to the mm-hmm. disciples, you know, it's like for those who have ears to hear, it's good. It's not like you know, you have to search it out. Yep. Um, exactly. Of, but but once you do, and you discover what it's saying, then you know the boundaries that it's set forth yep. uh, for a for a structured and disciplined life. Yeah. You know, it's like I don't know, but it's for those that have ears to hear. You know, yeah, that's, that's the, the prerequisite. When, when it comes to Sorry. you know sharing your faith or witnessing to others, it's like a sometimes difficult. You know, it's it's like a a simple gospel, you know, it's so mm-hmm. simple yet so complex, you know, and I'm running into that sometimes when you're trying to explain to others, you know, yep. you know, saved by grace through faith, you know, it's all you have to do yep. is uh, put your faith and trust in Christ yep. and, you know, his righteousness is, is enough and that kind of thing. Um, but it's the Holy Spirit, you know, illuminates, you know, shines the light and it's like right. foolishness to yep. them and they don't understand. That's right. But, you know, I don't know, yep. it's just some thoughts up there. It's really good. Really yeah, we can't do verses one to nine I without the Spirit. Only He can show us our <laughs> our poverty uh, spiritually. Yeah, but we just be faithful, be faithful servant. Yeah. But then it's like to those He's called, you know, to those He's chosen. Maybe that's why, you know, it's exactly. only, only maybe not everybody. I mean, yep. it's God's will that all would come to knowledge of you know, faith. Yep. Yeah, he actually way. applies it to, to some. And He knows who will well, let me pray. It is uh, 1022. We've got to go. It's, it's. Father, we thank you so much for your word, the clarity of it, and um, the conviction it brings. I ask you to help us to be careful to apply it now in our lives as we go forward. Thank you for the wisdom you've given. Prepare us to receive your word in the service to come. In Jesus' name. Amen.